Welcome to another episode of Icy Takes. We got a ton to talk about today. It's Jeff and Big Dave on the mic per usual. Jeff on the webcam on the other side. Jeff, how was your week? Oh, not bad, Dave. You know, spent the uh, holiday weekend with some friends up in beautiful Erie, Pennsylvania. Uh, Drank some beer, hung out, ate some food. Uh, You know, the normal stuff you do with your buds on St. Patrick's Day weekend. And uh, I can say it was was a solid week. Definitely a good week. How about yours? I mean, I I had a solid week. I also had a a fantastic time this past weekend. I was able to throw axes this past weekend and i'll tell you that that is some fun stuff i was able to go to the heart of pittsburgh and uh dabble in some axe throwing nice nice how how'd you do i i I did pretty well the the way they set this up we had seven people including myself attend uh aces axes i think in homestead i think that that was the name of the place they they set us up with uh one of our coaches um uh Katira was her name. I just wanted to make sure I got that right. And we did a double elimination tourna- tournament after we were taught the the proper techniques of how to throw, whether it's one-handed or two-handed. And I had the great opportunity to face her in the first round and lost. And then I claw- <laughs> clawed my clawed my way back to the finals to eventually lose to her again. Um, so I, I think I fared pretty well the first time around because – I could say I was the best of all my friends the first time in that tournament. There you go. So that I got something to hang my hat on. Yeah, just small victories. That's what that's what all matters when you have friendly competitions like that. That's that that is all that matters. But then I I was able to have one homemade green beer. My my brother got some harp and we got um we got food uh color green color food dye for it. And it just takes it just tastes like heart, but it's homemade. <laughs> yeah, I didn't have any green beer, just kind of like the Bud Light uh, green bottle or whatever. But uh, can't go wrong with that. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I never was really into the whole green beer thing or whatever. Just give me some beer gives gives me an excuse to drink a lot more on a weekend than what I normally do. Has the same effect whether it's green or regular. Absolutely, absolutely. So, a ton to talk about. Uh, we have a special bracketeering that we're going to save at the end, per usual, along with our MVP of the week. Some stuff moving around in hockey. We're closing in on the playoffs and seeding and who will finish where and what teams will be on the outside looking in. But this week, we get to start with baseball talk, and we're going to we're gonna get our prediction hats on. And, you know, this can be very uh, cliche sometimes, but this can also be very fun for us and we're not going to spend too much time on these predictions we're only going to have two to start off the show this week we'll we got a we'll have a great baseball show next week let's start with rookie of the year candidates and then we'll go into comeback player of the year candidates or not really candidates it's mainly our prediction to see who will win those awards so jeff i'm going to lead it off to you there are a ton of rookies to pick out there who do you have uh winning the rookie of the year just just one because we're not going to do mlb or ml or nl al we're just just pick one Jeez, talk much there dave uh anyways <laughs> i'm gonna go with rookie of the year and i'm gonna go with a uh a rookie that we just keep hearing more and more about and if you 
like myself follow the the TSN outlets or the outlets up in Canada, you're hearing about this kid, and he's just getting all the hype in the world. And I really hope that he is able to launch the Toronto Blue Jays into the upper echelon of the AL East and put them back where Josh Donaldson and Jose Batista had this team uh, not too long ago back in 2015. And I'm talking about Vladimir Guerrero Jr. You hear about this kid and that he's been the top prospect for Baseball America for the last couple of years, and you keep hearing about this kid. And um, I know now he... I think he got hurt in spring training, and they pretty much said, all right, you're going to start in AAA to start the year in Buffalo. But I'm tell you, telling you what, Dave, this kid, I, I, I think we're going to see a lot of what Ronald Acuna Jr. did last year for the Atlanta Braves. Uh, ball just jumps off his bat. He's going to be a nice uh, cornerstone to have at, uh, at third base for the Blue Jays. I like this kid a lot, and I think he's going to run away with Rookie of the Year uh, for at least the AL and um, – I think he's just going to be a treat to watch for six years in Toronto. You basically picked the best candidate that there was out there. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. has been a spectacle in the MLB world. Even last year when all he did was just spend his time crushing baseballs in Buffalo into Canada, essentially. I mean, the the dude has all the power in the world, just like his dad. And if he can hit just, if he can hit the garbage as well as his dad, He's going to be another force to be reckoned with, and I see no reason why the Blue Jays shouldn't hold on to him long term. Even now, just let's just get the big boy bucks out there now and start and start uh, cashing in on the years. But and, uh, and and don't forget the where he's going to be playing his home games at. That place is a launching pad that just his numbers are going to inflate there for six years it, uh, on his arbitration and everything like that. So. I mean, you saw what Josh Donaldson and Jose Batista were putting up numbers-wise in Toronto. I expect this kid to be putting up very high numbers for for the at least first six years of his career in Toronto. And a little a little tease for later on in the show. Toronto has enforced a curfew for video games in the clubhouse for pregame, so Vladimir Guerrero Jr. won't be distracted by the by the lights of some video games in, uh, <laughs> right before a game starts. So. I think he'll be he'll be crushing the ball there. A little uh, over under question here for you before I go. Does he break Aaron Judge's rookie home run record? Um, I believe it was fifty two. No, I don't think he does. Okay, so and and that and that's not because I don't think ability wise he can. I just think the Blue Jays are going to try and keep that super two um, status as shortened as possible. And I just don't think he'll have enough time to do it. Yeah, I was about to bring up that point. Like, will he have enough time to even break it? Because Aaron Judge had a full season and eclipsed it, I thought, easily, especially with that first half he had. By the way, hey, before we move further with your prediction, we're going to have our first breaking news of the history of the podcast. This is a first. Um, Mark Feinstein of MLB.com is reporting that the uh, the Yankees are close to a deal with Gio Gonzalez on a uh, minor league deal with a three million dollar base if he makes the um, if he makes the Yankees MLB roster this year. So I wanted to just get that in because I've always wanted to do breaking news. We never got to do it when we were on the radio back in college. 
So there's a little bit of breaking news that we can throw in there. I was about to say 11, 11 and a half hours later when this goes when this goes live, it'll be breaking news. But yeah, I saw I saw that too, and I was debating if I wanted to bring it up or not. But you you did it for me, right? Yeah, and I mean it, it says close, so I mean they you know in eleven and a half hours, it's it's probably going to be breaking news. Yeah, so um, good for Gio Gonzalez. That's another that's another free agent off the list that isn't signed yet. Um, I'm going to go a little bit off the board here. I was looking around to see uh, who who else could be potential candidates out there. And I think there's one here that if he gets the playing time, he should be a, a force to be reckoned with in the middle of a lineup in the NL East. Uh, his name's Pete Alonzo, a first baseman of the New York Mets. And looking around at his at his uh, numbers here, as I frantically look through these these tabs, it was it right now who is leading the league in average. And I, I believe all of, all of uh, spring training ball is Pete Alonzo at 360, a 360 average with the most, or he doesn't lead the league in average. He has the most played appearances at 50. He has a 360 average, which is uh, currently fourth in the league behind um, other players who are, are about 45 to 46 at bats and one with 32 so you can put Alonzo up there, but looking at his uh, slugging percentage, he has over a thousand. He has a three ninety six on base, five or six eighty slugging. So he's crushing the ball out there. But in his fifty at bats, he also has ten strikeouts. But I think if given the right playing time and you know getting run support for Jacob Degrom, which was very hard to do last year, this this could be a kid who just breaks out of nowhere and does it for the Mets. He was a second-round pick in 2016 and looks to be MLB-ready. And looking at his minor league numbers, the only time he batted under 286 with any team was his first call-up to AAA when he had over, I I believe, 300 at-bats. And he batted 260, which is still, you know, modest, to, to say the least. Every other year has been 285 or above, with his highest being... Um, 321 in his very first year of low A baseball. So Pete Alonzo, a name that you probably never heard of until now, is going to be my rookie of the rookie of the year prediction. Yeah, it sounds it sounds like you did a lot of homework on your uh, rookie of the year prediction. Where I did not, I just took the best prospect available out there. I don't um, blame you for that strategy. <laughs> But I mean, right, like you couldn't pass on that one. I'm just trying to be right. It doesn't matter if you did your homework or not. But um, yeah, I mean, when you said Pete Alonzo off the air when we were doing our notes and everything, um, I think your exact words were this guy's in your division. You probably don't even know his name. And you're right. I don't I don't know who this guy is. Uh, the only thing I'm, I'm curious about is um, the Mets roster is. I want to say it's deep, but it's it's a lot of guys that you're hoping have good years. Like is Robbie Cano going to have the same year that um you know Seattle was looking for for how many years and never really got it? Um, is his production going to be there? Um, uh, who else am I thinking of? Um, I'm drawing a blank here. Who plays left field for the Mets? Well, I believe Cespedes is currently Cespedes, injured. yes. That's what I'm thinking of. Cespedes. Is Cespedes going to be able to come back and have a big year? So I'm trying to think of where this kid's going to fit in their lineup um, on an everyday basis. Um, as far as being the first base 
guy of the future. I mean, I, the Mets have always struggled with keeping their young players around. And, um, yeah, I, I, I hope this kid has some success, but, um, yeah, it sounds like his numbers are there. It's whether the organization is able to push him forward and be that elite status player in the, at the major league level. Well, let me just tell you who on via, via Roto champ, they have projected at first base, Dominic Smith for the Mets and Pete Alonzo on the bench, Dominic Smith and his two half years or quarter years, you could say with the, at the high, at the highest level, 2018, he batted 224 on 143 at bats. And in 2017, he batted below the Mendoza line at 198 on 167 at bats. And they still have this kid projected over Pete Alonso. So the Mets can do one thing right before the season starts and get Alonso in that starting lineup within the first two weeks of the season and then keep him there. And depending on how the rest of the lineup looks, because I think he, he could honestly patrol that five, six spot right, right behind uh, Cano and Cespedes when he comes back and Michael Conforto and be a power, uh, be a power slot in the lower half of the lineup. Yeah. Like I said, if, if they can find a, a home for him in that lineup, um, it sounds like he could do some damage picking up behind Cespedes and Cano and Conforto. Um, it's, it's just whether you're you're asking a team that, you know, let's face it, seems to find a way to screw it up every time they get an opportunity and to get them to make the right decision here. So, um, and I, I think he's got to prove himself to make, make it as much of a no-brainer for that organization as much as they can. So, um, you know, we'll see. I, it, it, I do like, I do like kind of your bold prediction here and, um, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens when we get down the road. It ain't a prediction if it's not bold. That's what I say. There you go. There you go. I like I like how uh, how adventurous you are on your predictions. Does that sound better? <laughs> a, a little bit. I, I like adventurous more. So let's move <laughs> on to comeback player of the year. And I didn't really think about this too long because um, it happens right in my backyard of our backyard, I should say, of Pittsburgh. You're a little bit closer than, than I am. But <laughs> I'm going to ha- go with, Zhang Ho Gung of the Pittsburgh Pirates, the man who was out of baseball for all of the wrong reasons, but now has found his way back into the starting lineup with the Pittsburgh Pirates. He was awarded, you could almost say today, the start, the starting position at third base going into the, the start of the regular season for the Pittsburgh Pirates. And I think this dude still has some pop in his bat. He can still spread the ball with his bat, and he can patrol that hot corner Something that Colin Moran did very well defensively, but was very hot and cold with the bat offensively. And Zhang Ho Gang will be my projected winner of the comeback player of the year. So the only thing that I have an issue with with your comeback player of the year is are we gonna be are we okay with rewarding a guy who has had a domestic violence case against him, which no one seems to be talking about anymore. Um so that's kind of a iffy question for him. But he he's had, what, three DUIs in the span of yeah. a year and a well, half? I, I believe the, the first two happened before he, he went to Pittsburgh. I'm not trying to make excuses for 
what he has done in the past. Like I said, he was out of baseball for all of the wrong reasons, which he, he was out rightfully so. But now that he has worked accordingly with the court system and has done everything that he can to get back onto the playing field, I see no reason that if he does play well, that he is essentially a comeback player of the year because he has been out of the sport for a long time. And to even be out of it, you could even use Le'Veon Bell for an example. For him to be, for Le'Veon Bell to be out of it for an entire year, do you think he could be a candidate for comeback player of the year just because he was absent from the field? I do 100% because he he did not have any problems with the law. He didn't do anything as far as drug relations or anything. Well, I don't think um, just because his, you got in trouble with the law, I don't think just because you got in trouble with the law means that you are ineligible for any rewards awards for the rest of your life on the field, depending on how well you do and what else you do for maybe charity work to try to turn that. Um, so, so, that let, kind of so let me ask you this. You. Let me ask you this question. Would you give this same award to Robbie Cano who had a, a steroid problem last year? Who's suspended with steroids? I think that's different because he violated. Why is that, why is that any different than what Jung Ho Gong did? Jung Ho Gong was out of baseball because of, choices he made outside of his baseball career that led to him getting in trouble with the law and not being able to get back into the United States to be a a uh, third baseman for the Pittsburgh Pirates. So how is that any different than what Robinson Cano did? If you if I would agree with you 100% if you would say that yes, I would give Robinson Cano that same award that I'm giving Jung Ho Gung, but the fact that you're separating a guy who had legal issues getting into the United States from a guy that did a, um, that did drugs that aren't illegal but are against the uh, the PEDs of Major League Baseball's rules, and you're separating those, saying the guy that had trouble with the law outside of the United States can, can get this award, but the guy that did steroids can't, that shows the whole problem right there in baseball, right there. I, I don't even think it's in baseball. I just think it's in all sports in general. You look at... But it's more... Uh, what I mean by that is it's more problematic in baseball than it is anywhere else. Well, I, I I think the reason that it's more problematic is because baseball just tries to crack down on on people who are enhancing their body with drugs, essentially, and trying to not reward those players just because they are physically enhancing their bodies to be, uh, quote-unquote, better, use the finger quotes right there. But um, then maybe I will have to, you know, turn it around and maybe say that Robinson Cano would deserve it. But the reason I was going to say no was because that there is something in the rule book that says, you know, you're not allowed to do this. There is nothing in the rule book that says if you commit any crimes outside off of the field that you are, no, that you are suspended from play there. Like the, how the NFL has their um, conduct, their personnel conduct policy, I believe it's what it's called. Mm-hmm. So the fact that there is no, there's nothing built in with baseball when it comes to anything that's off of the field that I would want to give Cano the award next year because he violated terms under the MLB uh, rule book. Zhang Ho Gung did something much worse outside of the MLB. I mean, that that's really the only separation I, I have for this. So doing something knowingly, you could, I don't even want to say cheat the game, but just for the sake of uh, example, for Robinson Cano to cheat 
in the game and get caught and be suspended, that is why I will not want him to be eligible for a comeback return like player of the year. But for Zhang Ho Gang, like I said, who did things much worse to get himself off of the field, has been working his ass off essentially to get back on the field so that he doesn't have to go through all that again. That is why I would put Zhang Ho Gang in the running for a comeback player of the year. Okay. I mean, essentially, you are making a comeback to get on the field and stake your reputation out there and say, I'm not that person anymore. Right. And I, I get what you mean and everything like that. Like I said, my issue more of is kind of like the stand of what the, the baseball media has put on steroids is that if you've done steroids, you are excel. You're taking away everything from that player. They can't get awards. The hall of fame is pretty much gone. And anything that they've done in their career has been tainted. So that that's where I have an issue where, you know, we're going to exile a player because he had a mix up with steroids. But the guy that, that has done a lot worse getting getting do, making probably the worst decision you can make in in your everyday life three separate times. And we're, we're going to say the guy that didn't because it doesn't have a personal conduct policy like the NFL. That's kind of like the issue I have there. And I I I get your point. I, and I have a feeling we're never going to agree on this, but um, I just I just disagree. That's fine. Who do you got for comeback player of the year? <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> I love that segue right there. Uh, mine is a little less controversial. Mine is um, kind of based off of some stats that I, I was able to pull up. Um, oh, you did some homework s- for this. I did do a little bit of homework for this one. Um, this one's going to stay in the National League Central. It's going to be Marcelo Zuna of the uh, St. Louis Cardinals. And uh, to throw life kind of in a uh, and rewind here for a little bit, uh, when the Miami Marlins had their, their fire sale, this was like the get. It was um, Marcelo Zuna was kind of like the guy that everybody's like, oh, here come the Cardinals because, uh, you know, they made their, their big splash. They got this guy, and it didn't quite go the way they thought. Um, his his batting average on base and slugging percentage all dropped 40 points in the first half of the year when he got there. Um, but then the all-star break happened, and everybody always puts that all-star break out there. Like, once we get here, this is when it starts to count and everything. Well, Azuna in the second half goes... That's 299, has an on-base of 351, and slugs 506, having 13 home runs in 58 games after the All-Star break. Over 162-game season, if you take those numbers, that is a 37 home runs he would have hit over 162-game season on that pace. Um, I think this guy finally has just gotten comfortable in St. Louis, and that's going to be a very dangerous St. Louis Cardinals team that – the the NL Central is going to have to deal with. I think the only way Ozuna wins that award is if he bats damn near 350 because he still ended the year in St. Louis on a 280 batting average. And so it wasn't a completely awful year for Ozuna to go in there with a with a hefty contract you could say. But I mean the home run differentials you look before his 2017 season in Miami he had 23 the year before, 
and uh, I want to make sure I get my numbers right here, in 608 plate appearances. He had 10 the year before on 494 plate appearances and 23 the previous year in uh, 2014 with 612. So you can almost say that 2016 should have been that comeback player of the year, if not was comeback player of the year material. But um, yeah, that's the only way I see him essentially winning it is batting almost a 350 clip and 40 home runs. Yeah, I mean, before he got traded out of Miami, his last year in Miami, he was an all-star. He won the gold glove, and he won silver slugger, and he was also up for some MVP uh, votes as well. Um, And then one little tidbit on this, and I think this is key because everybody talks about this with contracts. He becomes a free agent next year. For from the uh, from the Cardinals, so he's playing for a contract after this year, whether he stays in St. Louis or he tries to hit the open market. But um, so that's another kind of extra motivation he's going to have to have a better year uh, through the whole 162 than what he did just after the All Star break last year. So I have Zhang Ho Gung. I'm pretty sure anytime I say that now, Jeff's going to uh, twitch a little bit. Yeah, a little bit, yeah, probably. And then you got Marcelo Zuna. Okay. And just looking at the Ozuna contract, you said it you said it ends at the end of the year. I wanted to see what the the Cardinals took on. So it's gonna be twelve and a half base salary, um, or twelve point two five. And what he had signed going into that, he was getting he got fourteen uh, no, he got nine million last year. Um, and three and a half the year before from the Marlins. So, I mean, essentially the Cardinals took on the he- the heavy end of Ozuna from uh, Miami and took him into their own. And, you know, he can project that Cardinals team who didn't make the playoffs last year, which is always awesome to say, um, and take them into the playoffs, which I hate to see. All right, so... Looking at other news here for baseball talk, we got Clayton Kershaw who won't start a season opener this year. Clayton Kershaw, who has started every season opener for the Dodgers since 2010, will not be starting this opener for the Dodgers, uh, I believe, with a shoulder injury. Jeff, do you think that with everything that Clayton Kershaw has done for this team, do you think it's A, good for Kershaw to get more rest because of an injury that he has right now, and B, does it affect the Dodgers in the long run? I'm going to answer A. I think it's great for Kershaw that he just gets some rest because I'm going to answer B with this same answer. It's not going to matter. The Dodgers are going to be there. Every year this happens where, you know, a guy gets hurt. We we thought this when uh, uh, Corey Seager got hurt. And everybody was like, oh, here, this, this might be the downfall of the Dodgers. Somebody else from the NL West is going to come out. And then the all-star break hits. They get healthy. They make a big deal at the deadline. Bing, bang, boom. They... They won the division, and they're competing for the World Series or at least the uh, National League pennant. So I don't think this matters. Walker Bueller is probably going to be the opening day starter. He's pretty much their their up-and-coming stud in that rotation. And um, this this just isn't going to matter. If anything, the uh, the Dodger brass is just loving this. That they, can, they can ease Clayton Kershaw back into the rotation as the year goes on. Um, maybe give him a couple extra days rest where – um, maybe skip a start, um, and you know he'll be he'll be healthy for the long run once July and August hit, and uh, he can hit the ground running. But this will not affect that organization in any way, shape, or form. Do you think 
before I answer this question, I'm just going to throw it out to you. Do you think any team in the NL West has a chance to overtake the the Rockies or yeah, the Rockies, the Dodgers? The only one that I could maybe think of, and this is kind of going off the top of my head. I mean, it's kind of like the a three way race, I guess, more than anything between Arizona, Colorado, or San Diego. But they those three teams all have deficiencies that it's going to be hard for them to compete with LA. Um, Colorado, Colorado and San Diego, I don't think have the pitching and Arizona lost one of their biggest threats in Paul Goldschmidt in the off season. I just, I think w- one of those three teams need to have a gigantic year just to keep pace with the Dodgers and to I mean, you're you're really asking for a lot from from one of those teams for them to have a gigantic year, and that's just to keep pace. That's not even to say you're going to win the division. That's to keep pace and maybe be within three and a half games of the division at the end of the year. I think that it is also great for Kershaw to get this time off, not because of just wrestling from injury, but it, was, but it is because that he has been the reason – why the Dodgers have been so successful. I believe Clayton Kershaw has, uh, along with a lot of other names on their, on the list that have been there and gone by, he is essentially the, 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 the needle that is threading everything. Um, if that even makes sense, Clayton Kershaw is the reason why the team stays relevant with everything that comes and goes. And, you know, I I don't think this will affect the long term. Honestly, I think they still win the division by ten plus games and clinch in September halfway through. But it's going to be weird to see how the Dodgers fare without him at the beginning because they still have other great pitchers like Walker Bueller and Alex Wood and uh, Hyunjin Ryu. So it's going to be cool to watch how those lefties and Walker Bueller. Uh, Walker Bueller is right-handed, right? Yes, because Ronald Cunha took him deep to left field in game four of the National League Division Series. Game three. Ga- game three, sorry, game three. Yeah, I knew I knew you would know what handed he was just because of that particular at-bat. But, oh, oh, yeah, I, I remember jumping in my basement when that thing got hit. But, yeah, I, I, I don't think in the long run the Dodgers are affected by it. But I'm curious to see if, if after the first two months, if they are even in first place in their own division. That is my take on the Dodgers. It's not really too much, but um, it, I, I wanted to see some controversy in that division that hasn't had controversy in a while. Yeah, I mean, like I said, like every part of me wants to say, like, oh, again, here come the Dodgers. They're coming in limping a little bit. Are they going to be able to stay healthy? And like I said, we'll we'll be at All Star time. They're going to. They're going to make a big deal at the deadline, and they're going to be in first place, run away with the division, and they're going to be the favorites coming out of the National League uh, come playoff time. Yada, yada, yada. It's the same old out there in the West, isn't it? Yep, it's not wild at all. It's just the same old West. Let's finish off our baseball talk with something hilarious. We have Carlos Santana smashing a TV in Philadelphia. During a game in which other players were playing Fortnite, I believe against your Braves, I can't remember that part in particular, but how hilarious 
is it that a Fortnite took over so much in a, in MLB locker rooms because there was the whole thing about David Price getting carpal tunnel because he was playing the game so much. Um, how hilarious is it that Fortnite got so many players that it took a catcher to smash a TV with a bat to get him to shut the game off? Dave, I'm going to say this, and you can't see me right now, and I know this is a radio radio joke or whatever. I'm rubbing my hands laughing right now because all you heard once they signed Bryce Harper that it's all hunky-dory in Philadelphia. Everything's just coming into place for the Phillies. Well, guess what? You got guys smashing TVs because the game's being played during actual baseball games going on. Bryce Harper's getting hit in the ankle with a 96-mile-an-hour fastball by some guy that's going to be bagging groceries. Everything's just coming down south for Philadelphia right now, and I love it. Um, This, I mean, this has been going on for a while, though. Didn't the Red Sox have this uh, issue? Yeah, so it wasn't Fortnite. Before the the David Price thing, but before, wasn't it like David Ortiz was eating, like, chicken and watching movies or something during games that he wasn't playing in and stuff? I think John Lackey said that players were drinking beer and playing Mario Kart. That's it. Yeah, that was that was one like the that was I believe Frank Turner's last year in 2012. Yeah, 2012. Yeah, so like this has gone on in clubhouses for a while. Um, the fact that it was spring training, I don't know if it's necessarily as big of a deal. Maybe they just had a day off um, or whatever, and there wasn't room in the dugout or whatever, but. Um, if this was in like the middle of June, I would understand, but, um, as far as like the Fortnite thing, I guess if the employer says, Hey, you know, when it's game time, be out in the dugout, support your teammates, you got to do it. And if it's going to lead to problems, like one of your, uh, somebody on the roster crushing a TV because they lost or, you know, he wants you to quit playing it. I, I it's clearly caused a problem and you know when you're doing team activities no more Fortnite. It, it's so, simple as that so with the phillies having a, a pretty good season until september last year this happened i believe at the end of the year the last series when the phillies were currently on a nine game losing streak and carlos santana seemed to re- notice that Pete, the his you know fellow colleagues you could say didn't seem that vested in turning it around and trying to get some wins to end the season, even with their, even with no playoffs being um, on the verge for that team anymore. And he just got pissed and decided to end it just like that. And just basically make a statement. Like we are here to win baseball games and not play Fortnite. What the hell are you guys doing? So I know I, I appreciate what he did there. It's, it didn't turn into a story until now. So that was six months. That was six months ago. So I, I, but uh, what I'm questioning is I don't see how it's going south with a story that came out six months ago and Santana still praising his time in Philadelphia. It was just that one instance that happened and he just tried to take leadership in a very radical way. Yeah, I mean, but again, like, why is this coming out now? That's the, the one thing that confuses me is, like, if this happened, what like, his whole decision is 100% warranted you're on a nine game losing streak and you're playing Fortnite in the clubhouse like shouldn't you be figuring out how you're scoring more runs or how we're keeping the keeping runs from crossing the plate um I I agree with him 100% but again why is this coming out now who's leaking this is this somebody on the roster is it 
one of those quote-unquote team sources or whatever. What's the reason for this coming out now? Maybe it's because Fortnite's dying and Apex Legends is taking over, so Fortnite needs a little bit of publicity. So maybe somebody on Epic Games did this. Maybe, maybe. I mean, it again, like, this, this isn't the first time this happened in a baseball clubhouse, so I don't want to say, like, you know, we got to make this headline news or anything, but um, at the end of the day, if you're – if you're struggling, you're on a nine-game losing streak, you're in a pennant race, too. I mean, for God's sake, that that pennant race was was hyped up to go all the way down to the end for the National League East, and then the Braves started to just run away with it. And, you know, if we knew it would have been that easy, geez, we would have, you know, maybe gave Freddie Freeman a day off or so, let him play some Fortnite, because they clearly didn't care in Philadelphia. Fortnite leads to losing. I can guarantee you that. I wouldn't say that, though. All right. Uh, I think that's about it for baseball talk. We got a lot to talk about next week. Um, oh, one more thing I do want to throw out there. The official opening day for all of Major League Baseball will be happening in Japan, I believe, this Wednesday. And Ichiro Suzuki will be uh, getting in that bat. Jeff, do you think that will be the best standing ovation any MLB player ever gets? Uh, that place is going to be jumping for, for Ichiro. He's a... Uh... He's a legend over there. They love. They absolutely love him. They loved him when he came over to Seattle. It seemed like a uh, Japanese news outlet was always following him everywhere he went. So um, I think they're going to treat him very well. Going to give him a warm ovation. Um, and, and Ichiro 100% deserves it. He was a great ball player when he when he left Japan, and yeah, he made his mark on Major League Baseball here too. So. Um, it couldn't happen to a better player, too. So well-respected throughout uh, Major League Baseball. I couldn't agree more. So that is our baseball talk. So let's move over to some hockey talk. And we'll start with uh, the Pens, Jeff. Uh, you got you got some stats on the Penguins for this past week. How'd they do? Uh, so a little, little bit of a rough weekend for the Gwens. Uh, they... They lost uh, two games over the weekend uh, to Philadelphia and St. Louis. They lost to St. Louis 5-1 and Philadelphia 2-1 in overtime. Uh, got the point for losing in overtime. Not uh, not what everybody wanted, but, you know, you're trying to collect every point that you can. Um, before that, though, they, they had won three straight. So, again, you know, it seems like the Penguins are going. They win, they win about three or Three or four in a row, then they drop a couple. So they're still collecting points. Um, they beat Boston, Washington, and Buffalo this week before the losses that were mentioned before. Um, starting to get a little bit more healthy. Uh, Brian Rust returned to the lineup Sunday Sunday night. And um, they did lose a big piece, though. Evgeny Malkin went down, upper body injury. He's about week to week. Um, it's still the middle of the playoff run. It's, it's all it is. Um the loss to Philadelphia hurt a little bit, but let's not overreact here, people. Um, they didn't. They didn't play awful. I think there was a lot for the, for them to uh, to show more in that game. Um, it was concerning at one point when I saw the shots were twenty to nine and it was still zero zero. Carter Hart played a great game Sunday, and um, I I I'm I just can't stress this enough with people in Pittsburgh is you cannot live and die with every loss. I know the race is close, but you look at the standings, you're three points out of the uh, first place in their, 
their division, but they're three points away be, from getting caught by Carolina. So, you know, you have some, a tiny bit of wiggle room. I know you don't want to fool around with it, but um, just you can't live and die on every game. You, ha- you, you have the big games to circle on your calendar, like uh, Carolina tomorrow night. Um, that's obviously a big game. You, you need a win there, but just keep collecting points. Keep collecting points, and you'll be just fine. Well, you were mentioning that they are three points out of first place. I believe they're, they also have two games, uh, or they have one more game played than both the Islanders and Capitals, so they could also be five five points out of those teams as well. And plus, they also have two games more than the Hurricanes, who are, like you just said, three points behind them. So I wouldn't say that it's, no, we're in a comfortable position. As right. If you want to include yourself as Penguins fans, as we, but I, I'm not going to stress this out enough that I, I think that the Penguins have been one of the most inconsistent teams in the NHL this year. Especially, I always think of November and how awful of a month that was for the for the Penguins. Where if you turn if you sport a 50-50 record that month, they're flirting with first place in the division. Right, yeah, and I I agree with you that there is there is uh, times throughout the year where they they just didn't have it for whatever reason. That's kind of why this, they're in the spot that they're in right now. Um, but if you look at their their schedule down the stretch, you got two games with uh, two games with the Rangers. You got two games with Detroit, and you got two games with Carolina. So I mean, you're pretty much able to control your own destiny down the stretch here. Um, the game tomorrow night against Carolina is absolutely huge. And um, I think that game, you need to at least get a point out of it, at least a point minimum. Um, you obviously want to get the two points. Uh, both teams are fighting for playoff lives right there. Um, but I will go out on, on this limb right here that what you see right now in the playoff picture I think are going to be the 16 that you see in the, in the uh, playoffs that's East and West. Okay. So you said the, you said the sixth seed or the 16 teams currently in the NHL going into tonight's action. Okay. Are the teams that are going to be in the playoffs come the end of the year. Okay. All right. So nothing's going to change. Nope. Nothing's going to change. I think, Teams are start going to start filtering out. I think Philadelphia is going to start going away a little bit. I don't think Montreal is going to have enough to catch the uh, Blue Jackets or Carolina. Um, I think there could be still some seeding changes um, between the Islanders and Washington. That's going to go down the stretch. <clears throat> uh, as far as on the Western Conference, the Calgary Flames have uh, clinched their their. Uh, playoff spot already led by bc uh alumni johnny goudreau johnny hockey um i i think uh i think st louis is pretty much gonna be gonna be in as well they're they're about just as streaky as the penguins so i think the 16 you see right now like i said they're i think that's gonna be your 16 once the season comes to an end if there's any team that has the potential to shoot themselves in the foot in this. I do think it's the Penguins because 
the rest of their schedule has two games against the Hurricanes, two games against the Predators, two games against the Rangers, and two games against the Red Wings, with one of those games remaining being against the Stars. So seeing teams multiple times and making adjustments based off those appearances might be the only reason why this team does this into themselves. But I believe that they have the roster and the talent uh, still healthy enough to not falter. But I will say, if you do want to press that overreaction button a little bit, to hear week to week for Evgeny Malkin, there's not that many weeks left until the end of the season, and there's no clinching for the playoffs for the Penguins yet. So even though I, I love what Teddy Bluger has been able to do for this team, losing somebody like Malkin week to week can really hurt this team that's not in the playoffs yet, and it's the end of the season. Don't you agree? Yeah, it's it's definitely concerning, and I, I guess Jim Rutherford came out and said some uh, some things towards the NHL, and I guess um, why Robert Bortuzzo was not uh, disciplined for that cross-check that um, that did hurt of getting Malkin. It, it sounds like it's a rib injury. Um, I think the telling thing will be though is if he makes the uh, if he makes the road trip here and travels with the team, and um, if he's skating by Friday, I wouldn't be concerned concerned with it. Um, I think at the end of the day, what what concerns me most about this team right now is the how ineffective the power play is right now. They just for whatever reason, the the power play just can't get itself going and can't seem to get out of its own way right now. Um, I think they just need to simplify it a little bit more, whether it, it's their uh, their break-ins on the power play and um, whether it's just getting it deep, running it through Sidney Crosby instead of Phil Kessel. Um, I, I just I, – I think not necessarily – per. Yeah, you don't want to lose Evgeny Malkin, but I don't think necessarily the personnel that they have on the roster is um, is what's going to hurt this team. I think they're deep enough at this point that um, you know it's time for some guys to step up to outside of the uh, the core players. And you might lose Evgeny Malkin and add Chris Letang tomorrow night too, for all we know too. So that could be an even trade off. Yeah, yeah, you're you are right there. So. Um, anything that can really help out this team is desperate right now, I think, for the Penguins. Um, with being so good two weeks ago and then having those two, I'll say the the loss to the Flyers was a worse than the loss to the Blues. Even though you still got a point against the Flyers, you had that game wrapped up with an empty net at the end, and it was just, a, I, I thought it was a great play by the Flyers to, to get that pass, Matt Murray, to tie it up with 30 seconds left. But that is such a killer way to lose two points at home against the, your biggest rival in a playoff push. I thought that loss was extremely painful, much more painful than a 5-1 thrashing on Saturday. So, Dave, let me ask you this. So that loss to the Flyers, uh, the two goals they gave up, there was a common theme there of Sidney Crosby making some uh, the defensive lapses that he does not normally make, right? Would you mm-hmm. agree, with, yeah. agree with me yeah. on that? I'm willing to bet right here, right now, that Sid knows he made those mistakes and he's going to turn around and he's going to make sure that that doesn't happen again. And I guarantee you, he probably has about a three-point night tomorrow night in Carolina. All right. To ensure that that you're now going to have a five-point lead on Carolina when you leave Raleigh tomorrow night. 
Hey, I, li- I like that prediction. I-, I like what you're putting out there. You mentioned your boy, Johnny Gaudreau, the-, the Flames being the first team to clinch in the West. It's crazy to me, I don't know about you, but it's crazy to me to see how much improved the Flames have been throughout the year since Johnny Hockey's taken over there. Yeah, so um, since he's gone there, the Flames definitely, like you said, they've been kind of trying to build around him and kind of get a, a team that's been able to be, be competitive in that division. Um, Johnny Goudreau obviously leading the way, but I saw something on the NHL Network today that I think they had five, it was five or six, I think, 65 or more point getters that on the team this year, and it was the most in franchise history. So um, they're obviously getting a lot of help uh, depth-wise when it comes to scoring points. And um, honestly, the only concern for that team right now is the goaltending. I think that's the only thing that can get in their way. And um, but you know, if, if you're scoring enough goals, you don't want to be slugging out seven, six games in the playoffs. But um, if they can shore up some goaltending, I think this team can make a run. And uh, I don't know if you saw it today or not, but um, it sounds like they're wearing their old school 1980s jerseys throughout the playoffs too. And um, that's going to be an awesome scene in Calgary with uh, with a sea of red going through. The more we have of that, the better hockey will be with old school jerseys. I don't care how good or bad they look. Having the retro is always fun. Oh, what! and me and my buddies always say this all the time. Uh, where are the jerseys that you had success in and where are those now? Calgary's wearing these ones. When they won, they in these jerseys, they won their cup in '89. Uh, I wish Edmonton would go back to the blue and orange that uh, that like Gretzky wore. The Penguins are wearing the jerseys that Lemieux won all his cups in. Um, they just look so much better, and I think that's what people remember teams by is by the jerseys that they were successful in. And I, I wish more teams would go back to stuff like this. Just like how Carolina wore Hartford Whalers jerseys. Right, yeah, and even those looked really good too, and um, and I thought it was really cool too. It was a couple of weeks ago that they played up in Boston, and um, the Bruins wore their uh, their their away white jerseys, and um, Carolina wore the green Hartford Whalers jerseys. I thought that was a kind of nice little blast from the past. So, moving on, the Lightning have a chance to clinch everything. Tonight with, I believe right now they sit at 114 points as they do with 10 games remaining. Jeff, all they need to do is win six of their last 10 to break that record. I'm still sticking that they tie the record. I believe that's what I said last week. And right now they are tied with the Coyotes one-to-one as we, as we speak right now. So Jeff, what do you, what do you think about the, the lightning being able to clinch everything tonight? Um, it's a great year by, by the lightning. Uh, everything just seems to be going their way right now. Um, they don't take a night off, which is something that, um, I think might come back to haunt them because at the end of the day, did that game in December really matter as much as you put as far as the effort into it? Um, some people question that, but you know, it's a great year by them. They're, they're going to lock this up within the if not this game they'll probably do it later in the week um but they just have the depth they're such a good hockey team um but having said that i think they're beatable i think once you get them in a seven game series um i think they are beatable um whether it happens in the atlantic or in the 
uh, Eastern Conference Finals. I, I don't think this team's going to win the Stanley Cup, and that's that's just my personal opinion. Um, I just think that once you get into a seven-game series, you're able to get your matchups that you're looking for and key on some guys. Is uh, Nikita Kucherov going to be able to uh, still put points on the board when he's saying top-end defenseman every shift uh, because coaches are getting the matchups they're looking for? I just don't, I don't see this team winning the Stanley Cup. Bold predictions from a bold man, Jeff Christ, everybody. Give him a round of, of applause. Tampa Bay Lightning at 114 points. I think the only way that this team loses is either in the conference, Eastern Conference Finals or in the Stanley Cup Final. I think that the teams that they'll face in, their, in the Atlantic Division, especially if they do face Boston in the second round, um, well, not especially. I, I want to retract that. I think they, they have an easy path to get to the conference finals, except for the Boston Bruins, because I think they can out-physical the Tampa Bay Lightning. But other than that, I think the Lightning have the easiest path to get to the Stanley Cup, which is rare to say because the Stanley Cup, as we both agree, is probably the hardest championship to capture. And Take the, take the and, probably out. It is the hardest. <laughs> I mean, no, but we agree on that. Right, um, right. But I, but it's, I will say that I think the Lightning have the easiest path to it, and the only way that they lose is after winning the first two rounds. So that's what I will say about the Lightning. I will say this, but if they would face, say, say again, we're going with off my prediction that the the 16 teams that you see right here right now in in the playoffs going into tonight, say that they would face Columbus and Boston go, before they go to the Eastern Conference Finals. That is a tough road because those teams are just going to beat the hell out of the, the Lightning, assuming they can catch them and, you know, with the speed and everything. But you want to talk about two teams that just play a heavy brand of hockey. That's going to be a tough it, – it's not going to be as easy as what people think either because Columbus was rolling for a while there in the um, – in the Metropolitan Division, so they're not exactly a cupcake uh, first-round opponent. No, but I do think that your boy Bob's in the net um, is very prone to be Swiss cheese in the in the net in, in the playoffs. That's just my opinion, and I think Kucherov and Stamkos can light the lamp easily if they face the Blue Jackets in the first series. Yeah, I'm in. I think the key for both both Boston and Columbus, if they would get into that situation, would be, um, you know, we have to be hard and physical on those guys, but you got to stay out of the box. You can't can't let Tampa Bay get on the power play because that power play just snaps it around like crazy, and it's in the back of your net before you even know it. Um, I also had on here wild card predictions, but you basically said what you needed to say. All the sixteen teams that are in now are going to be in, so I don't think you need to say anything else about that. Um, I'll say the the coolest thing that I think about the playoffs this season is that the Arizona Coyotes are finally going to make it. Uh, uh, what was it? Mr. Talkett out there in uh, Arizona is riding the ship, and I think the, the Coyotes finally get a taste of the playoffs, and it's going to be fun to see them lose to, I believe, the Calgary Flames. Um, I don't know how the seeding is yet, but I think that's going to be probably the coolest part is just seeing the, the team from the Southwest in the desert um, finding their way back into the playoffs. Yeah, you know what? They got a fun team going on down there in Arizona. Um, a lot of young talent coming through. Clayton Keller, American kid out of St. Louis. Um, 
is kind of kind of like the guy that they're kind of building around down there. So uh, Rick Talk has done a great job. He's uh, when he played, he was an honest hockey player. He played the game hard. He always tried to find uh, find little ways to uh, to to beat everybody. So um, he's got a good thing going down there in Arizona. And um, you know, like you said, they're gonna get a tough playoff matchup, whether it's uh, whether it's Calgary or Winnipeg. So um, it's gonna be. It's going to be tough for them, but um, for an organization like that that's had the history of struggling, if they're going to be able to stay in Arizona slash Phoenix, and um, for them to finally get a little bit of success down there, it's it's kind of one of the best stories in the NHL right now. So I think that's all we have for hockey talk. What about you? Uh, one quick note: um, the Boston College Eagles, as you know. Everybody knows this is my favorite college hockey team. Uh, BC. Beat, beat Providence College in the hockey East playoffs over the weekend, uh, winning in three in a three game series. They take on UMass this weekend. Um, that will be at TD Garden. And yes, I did look into tickets. I'm probably not going to be able to go up, but uh, congratulations to Jerry York and the BC Eagles. All right. So Jeff has just basically said he had weekend plans, but can't do it anymore because. He just doesn't want to make the road trip to Boston, and I don't blame him. <laughs> all so, right. all right, moving on. Jeff, where, where, where are we going to now? Jeff, we have our bracketeering, and it's going to be a little different than usual, and it's going to be a speed run. Uh, usually we like to debate about these, but because of the one of the most wonderful times in the year, and it's not in our sports, um, March Madness is upon us in the NCAA men's basketball tournament. And I think what we're going to do is we're going to do a speed run of our brackets. So we're, I'm going to name off the two teams. I want to make sure your bracket's ready as I describe what else is going on with this. Um, we're also going to throw this out to you fans. Um, we're, we're going to open it up on, I believe, ESPN. But I'll also have uh, photos up on Facebook that you can post. And I'll keep track of them there as well. Um Fill out a bracket, and if you beat both Jeff and I, if you beat both of our brackets, and you also get first place out of the other contestants that are in this, then you are going to win a $20 gift card from Sheets, courtesy of me and Jeff. So, Jeff, are you ready for this? Yeah, and one quick thing, too. Before everybody gets on their high horse of, oh, you guys are a hockey and baseball podcast, why we talk college basketball and all this garbage, it's festive. Everybody does it. You're doing it at work. You're doing it with your buds at school. Everybody does it. It's an American thing. So we're just having fun with it. And we're giving you a prize. We're giving you 20 bucks at Sheets. All right. Buy yourself a tank of gas. Buy yourself some food. I love That's the old man that comes out of you every time uh, you put up these hypotheticals. Uh, why are you well, already getting mad at us? Right. Well, you know we're going to get it on the Facebook or the Twitter at Icy Takes. Icy Takes on Facebook. Follow us. Send us our, your your hate mail or whatever, but um, let's, let's go. Let's dive into this. I'm ready to go. All right, we're going to do region by region. So let's start Let's start with the East. We got number one seed Duke against, um, and it doesn't matter. Let's just pick Duke because Duke. they're the all winner there. Um, we got number eight VCU playing number nine UCF. Who you got? I got UCF. Always a tough one with the nine eight, nine eight spot, but UCF takes the upset. I got VCU. They got the history behind them at that lower seed. Number five, Mississippi State against number 12, Liberty. Mississippi State. Yep, I agree with you there. Virginia Tech, number four seed against number 13 seed, St. Louis. 
Upset St. Louis. Ooh, disagree with you there, Virginia Tech. They are a tough, 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 tough team. All right, number six, Maryland against either number 11, Belmont, or Temple, who you got? Maryland. I kind of have the upset here. I I think if Belmont wins, and I'll, I'll just say if Belmont wins, that they beat Maryland. So LSU, number three seed against number 14 seed, Yale. Oh, always take the smart kids. They help me inside and outside the classroom, Yale. Big upset. Yeah, and actually, I agree with you there. They average over 80 points a game, which is ridiculous. Louis, number seven, Louisville against number 10, Minnesota. Louisville. I agree with you there. Number two, Michigan State against number 15, Seed Bradley. Michigan State moving on. Sparty on. All right, number one, Duke against number eight, VCU. Oh, we're okay. We're going through. Oh, okay. You, you, yeah, I said, let's, I said let's stay in the East region. Okay. Uh, I got Duke. Yep, same. You got number five, Mississippi State, against number four, Virginia Tech. Or number th- 13, uh, St. Louis, Mississippi State. Okay, uh, I got Virginia Tech in that one. Um, my matchup is Belmont versus Yale, and I had the smart kids going to a sweet 16. I got Yale against uh, Maryland, and Maryland's going to move on. Got number seven, Louisville, number two, Michigan State, and Sparty on. Uh, Sparty on. All right, so mine is Duke and Virginia Tech, and as much as I want to pick Virginia Tech to pull off the upset here, I still have Duke winning a close one. Duke beats Mississippi State in my bracket. Move on. Yale in my bracket against number two, Michigan State, and the smart kids' run is over, Michigan State. Yeah, Michigan State moves on, Tom Izzo. I've said this too many times. He's He just can't bet against them. Number one seed Duke against number two seed Michigan State. And Jeff, here it is. I got number two seed Michigan State. They've overcome the odds, and they will do it again against Duke. Yeah, I just said in the last the uh, the last round that you can't bet against Tom Izzo unless it's against Mike Krzyzewski. Duke moves on. <laughs> All right, so you have Duke. I have Michigan State. Let's go to the West region. We have number one Gonzaga against, uh, it doesn't matter here because there's two teams playing in. I think Gonzaga goes in no problem. Yep, Gonzaga, move on. Number eight, Syracuse against number nine, Baylor. Struggled with this one, but Syracuse. Oh, go orange all day in that one. Number five, Marquette against number 12, Murray State. Marquette. I got the upset here. Ja Morant and Murray State racers move on. Number four, Steve, Florida State. Number 13, Vermont. Florida State. I agree with you there. Florida State. Number five, Buffalo. Or number six, Buffalo, excuse me. And number 11 seed, either Arizona State or San Jose State University. I took the uh, play-in game there. Okay, well, I got Buffalo winning that one. 31-3 and killing it in their conference. It's the MAC, though. Number three, Texas Tech against number 14 seed, Northern Kentucky. Uh, Texas Tech runs away with that one. And I think it'll be a close one, but Texas Tech comes away. Number seven, Nevada against number 10, Florida. Florida. I got Nevada in this one. They're too powerful. Number two, Michigan. And number 15, Montana. I got Michigan. Michigan, keep moving. I don't want to give them any compliments. Number one seed, Gonzaga against number eight seed, Syracuse. Gonzaga moves on. I think this is where the first seed loses. The first number one seed loses. Jim Beheim gets past Gonzaga. I have Murray St- number 12, Murray State, against number four, Florida State. I got Florida State winning that one. Florida State beats Marquette in mine. Number six, Buffalo for me, against number three, Texas Tech. And I got Texas Tech moving on. 
I got the playing game going on a run here. They beat Texas Tech moving on. So this is a tough one for me. Number seven, Nevada for me against number two, Michigan. And I'm going to have to go with Eric Musselman and the Wolfpack. Ryan the Magic from last year. Nevada moves on. Uh, I have uh, Florida against Michigan. Unfortunately, Michigan moves on. We're going to keep moving because, again, we're not giving that school any uh, any positive publicity. Number eight, Syracuse against number four, Florida State. And I think Jim Beheim rides it again into the Elite Eight. I got Florida State moving on past Gonzaga. Um, that's where my first number one goes down. Florida State, um, tough loss against Duke, drawing them in the ACC, but uh, Florida State moves on. Number three, Texas Tech for me against number seven, Nevada, and I'm still giving it to the Wolfpack. I think Texas Tech kind of fell apart in the Big 12 tournament, and they do it here in the Sweet 16. I got the uh, playing game, Arizona State and uh, San Jose University. Um they lose to Michigan. Keep it moving. I got number eight Syracuse against number seven Nevada, and give it to Jim Beheim and the Orange ACC repping to the Final Four. You just playing favors with the ACC. I got Michigan State in the Final Four. Uh, well, you just carried Jim Beheim, who probably will just run somebody over anyway. So uh, <laughs> Mich- Michigan's going to advance. Keep it moving here. I don't want to talk about he's, it. He's running over the competition. All right, we got number one seed in the South, uh, Virginia, taking on number 16, Gardner-Webb. Virginia lost last year as the number one seed. First time it ever happened. They get revenge. They win. Yeah, I'll keep it moving. Ole Miss, number eight, number nine, Oklahoma. Oklahoma. Um, I'll agree with you as well. Number five, Wisconsin. Number 12, Oregon. Great hockey school, Wisconsin. Going to take them. I got number 12 seed Oregon upsetting the Badgers up north. Number four seed Kansas State against number 13 UC Irvine. K-State. K-State. Moving on. Number six Villanova. Number 11 St. Mary's. That school cost me the last time we did this about three years ago or something like that. Uh, Villanova. I agree with you there. St. Mary's is only in because they beat Gonzaga to get into the tournament for the title of the West Coast title. Number three, Purdue versus number 14, Old Dominion. Purdue. Purdue Boilermakers. Number seven, Cincinnati. Number 10, Iowa. Iowa. I agree with you there. And number two, Tennessee. Number 15, Colgate. Tennessee. All right. We got number one, Virginia. Number nine, Oklahoma. Uh, Big upset here. I got Oklahoma. Wow. I I got the Cavaliers getting to the Sweet 16, but I've been wrong on them before. Number 12, Oregon, against number 4, K-State. Hockey players, keep, hockey players keep it moving. Wisconsin wins. Uh, in your bracket, I have Oregon instead of Wisconsin moving into the Sweet 16, beaten on the Wildcats. I have numbers. I believe we have same matchup here. Villanova and Purdue, 6 versus 3. I got Villanova upsetting Purdue. Yep, I got the same thing. Number 10, Iowa. Number 2, Tennessee. Give me Tennessee in that one. Tennessee. I got Virginia and Oregon, and I got Oregon moving on to the Elite Eight. I got Oklahoma, Wisconsin, Wisconsin, and the hockey players keep it moving. And then I got, we have Villanova and Tennessee, and I think Tennessee gets over the hump of Villanova. I think Villanova upsets them. I didn't like what I saw in the uh, SEC championship Oh, my. Tennessee putting putting out that that effort against Auburn. Uh, I got Villanova moving on. Then I have number 12, Oregon, against number two, Tennessee. And give me Tennessee in the final four. 
And I got Wisconsin being Villanova. The hockey players are repping from Wisconsin. A team that I have losing in the first round, you have in the final four. I love it. Yep. All right. Midwest bracket or region. We have North Carolina against number 16, Iona. Give me UNC. UNC. Utah State, number eight, number nine, Washington. Washington. Actually, I'm going to give Utah State here. So I got number five, Auburn, number 12, Mexico State. Give me Auburn. Auburn. Bruce Pearl did a great job in that SEC championship game. And he's still doing a good job with that organization. Number four, Kansas against number 13, Northeastern. Uh, Going with Kansas, Northeastern, rival of BC. (laughs) I got Kansas as well. Number six, Iowa State against number 11, Ohio State. Iowa State. All day, winning that Big 12 title. Number three, Houston against number 14, Georgia State. Houston. I got the upset here. Georgia State over Houston. Remember what they did to Baylor a couple years ago. Remember. Okay. Um, number seven, Walford against number 10, Seton Hall. I got Seton. oh, I got Walford in this one. I got Seton Hall. And number two, Kentucky against number 15, Abilene Christian. Calipari, go. Calipari. Number local one, boy, UN- by the way. Yeah, local boy. Number one, UNC against number eight. Uh, for me, Utah State, I got UNC. I got UNC over number nine, Washington. I got number five, Auburn, over number four, Kansas. Uh, I got Kansas winning that one. Ooh, tough choice. I got number six, Iowa State, against number 14, Georgia State. Give me the Cyclones. I got uh, number three, Houston, beating Iowa State. And I have number seven, Wofford, losing to number two, Kentucky. Calipari moves on, local boy. This is the toughest choice for me in the entire bracket. Number one, North Carolina against number five, Auburn. I'm going to have to go with North Carolina and my boys at UNC. I'm going to go with UNC over Kansas. Um, what they have done against Duke this year, I think, carries on through to uh, to advance them onto the Elite Eight. I got number six, Iowa State against number two, Kentucky, and give me the Wildcats. I got uh, Houston beating uh, the local boy, John Calipari. Uh, to go against uh, UNC in the Elite Eight. Wow. And I have North Carolina and Kentucky. And give me UNC in the finals. I got UNC going, going to the finals as well. Do we want to recap our Final Four? We got, I got Michigan State and Syracuse going up against each other. And then I have Tennessee and North Carolina. I have Duke and, unfortunately, Michigan. And then I have North Carolina and Wisconsin. So we got a little Big Ten ACC action going on here. And I got, yeah, I mean, I have a little SEC in this as well. So I have Michigan State and Syracuse. I'm going to have to Sparty on with Michigan State in the finals. I got Duke going against Michigan in the east-west side. Uh, Duke's going to keep going. They got the best player, player in college basketball. So they're going to they're gonna run right through Michigan. And number one, see North Carolina against number two, Tennessee. Give me UNC in that matchup. North Carolina against the hockey players up at Wisconsin. Uh, Wisconsin with a big upset right here. Wow. Wisconsin go to the finals first time since 2014, I believe, or 2015. Um, but regardless, it was Frank Kaminsky's year. All right, I got number two, Michigan State, against number one seed, North Carolina. And you got to give it to the boys in the ACC, UNC, taking it home against Sparty. I got an ACC team winning it. Unfortunately, the hockey players run is going to uh, run down here. Zion Williamson is just going to have one hell of a tournament. 
Uh, Coach K is going to have that team ripping, roaring, ready to go. Um, Duke's going to beat Wisconsin 76-54. to 54. It's going to be a blowout, not even close. My tiebreaker for the final score, 74-65. Okay, not bad, not bad. I mean, you got your tiebreaker final score? Yeah, that's what I said, 76-54. Oh, yeah, so, sorry, yeah. sorry about that. God, I'm gonna Dave, submit pay my, attention. I'm going to submit my pick. I've been I've been so used to leading the way that uh, I kind of lapsed there for a little bit, uh, like Sidney Crosby on defense last night. Oh, take it easy. Oh what I can't make I can't make one joke about the greatest player in hockey right now. Not Sid, no, you can't make fun of him. All right, just because I heard Jeff's feelings, we're gonna move into our final segment, the MVPs of the week. Jeff, who you got? Oh, I got Elias Pedersen. Did you see that shootout goal that he pulled off on? Uh, I believe it was what Friday night. He had a couple stick handles like Patty Kane, and then he goes, "Nope, going Peter Forsberg, one-handed right around the goaltender." Um, probably one of the sickest moves. He's going to probably win the Calder Trophy this year. He's been outstanding all year for the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, Elias Pedersen, you are the MVP for the NHL side of Icy Takes. And I, I think it was filthy what he did there. And he had all the all the right reasons to yell, look, Ma, one hand for that goal. So I do like that pick. Mine is going to be a group effort. And it's not even in our sports. I want to give it to everybody that had contribution to building the bracket that we have today that we just went over. Without you, you wouldn't give us pointless controversy to talk about with how teams are seated with a sport that we kind of follow one week before March Madness actually begins with these people who put all of the entire season into a formula to, to seed these teams. So I thank these people for giving us this controversy that we're going to live with until the end of Sunday when all of the high of March Madness kind of runs dry until the final four. So thank you, bracketologists, for giving us something to argue about in our run-of-the-mill lives. Yep, thank you, fellas. We appreciate it. And we also thank you for listening to our show. This has been Icy Takes with Jeff and Big Dave. Jeff, I mean, what what did you think of tonight's performance? Did you go three for three? Uh, did did you get that uh, penalty shot goal? How do you think you did? I think we did pretty all right. I we'll see what the the people say. Uh, they can uh, send us what they thought on either the Icy Takes Facebook page or on Twitter at Icy Takes. I I see. E-Y. I know it's spelled wrong. It's spelled wrong on purpose. Uh, you can also send it to me personally at jchris underscore 51. We'll see who the real tough guy is. Send it to me personally. At big underscore Dave 52. We appreciate any comments and feedback that you want to give to us. Had a little bit of controversy on our, on our uh, bracketology uh, bracketeering last week because we left a team out and Jeff, do you see why people get mad at the bracketologist for March Madness when we put these together? Yeah, first of all, uh, yeah, yeah. can I address this first? This is going to be old man coming out, too. Um, whoever it was that said, well, why is it Reese's Cups on there? They're not a candy bar. And then they retracted back and said, well, why isn't Fast Break on there? It's not on there because fa- Fast Break isn't the top thing Reese's puts out. Everybody knows Reese's for Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. Therefore, it's not a candy bar, and for them to defer back and say, well, the candy bar that they made to be in the candy bar game isn't on there, that's the whole, that's the whole reason why they weren't on there. Is the old man finally done speaking? Again, if you want, if you got a problem with it, send me a DM at jchristo underscore 51. 
He's looking for a fight, ladies and gentlemen. Give him something <laughs> to fight about. We appreciate everything, and stay icy out there. And, hey, one more thing. Remember, go Eagles this weekend. Going against UMass at uh, TD Garden. Let's go Eagles. <laughs>